0: What you're hearing is the Champions League anthem, as promised, we have done it, Borussia Dortmund has qualified, somehow they dragged themselves across the finish line, but yes, everyone can now look forward to the next season that will entail Champions League football, at least six games, and uh, I personally am a big fan of the Champions League. Hearing those tunes is always goosebumps for me, especially when you're in the stadium. So even if Borussia Dortmund lost by two goals against Hoffenheim, conceded third third place, I personally do not care. It's amazing. I'm Stefan Brutzko and this is the Yellow World Pod. And yes, the season is over. And for the final game to discuss, join me once again, Matthias Zug. Hello Matthias, how are you doing?
1: Uh, hello Stefan, I'm I'm doing quite well and just like you, I don't care how the final match went uh, as much as getting the position we needed at the end of the day.
0: No, it's the sa- same here. I mean, I was uh, on a plane to Philly the next day, so I didn't really care about the league position in the end and uh, also here after a very long time. But uh, yeah, I'm really glad Luca Giel has made it on the yellow pod again Hello, Luca. How are you doing? <laughs> Hello,
2: Stefan. Good to be back. Uh, last time I was here, Dortmund was still playing good football, I think.
0: <laughs> well, um that uh, would have been somewhere after the Leverkusen-Bremen match, because that was actually good football. But um, yeah, I, I I hear your point. I can't even remember the last time when you were on the show. But uh, nevertheless, um, let's get going. And uh, I have to announce, of course, the sponsor of this episode, which is Adolfo Garcia. He has pledged on Patreon, so thank you, Adolfo. And um, yeah, a 3-1 loss, Peter Stöger is gone. Um, Hoffenheim took third place, but uh, Bayer Leverkusen is still Leverkusen. I guess that sort of sums it all up. Um, Luca, but let's start from the top. Um, when the lineup was released, I think everyone was uh, were scratching their heads. Uh, so was I. In the end, it was like a 4-2-3 system against the ball with, uh, yeah, back five. Um, I think I wrote on ESPN, uh, right system, wrong players. Uh, what did you make out of the lineup and, uh, how it all unfolded in the game?
2: Yeah. As you, I was uh, confused in the beginning, but when I wrote, and wrote the names down and saw the Instagram post of Nobby Dickel, portraying it as a back three or back five. Um, it kind of made, made sense because all of the center backs were out and it was probably too early to trust Zagadu. The last time he played, he didn't look too good. And then to throw him in, in an important game like that, yeah, it would have been risky. And I liked the back uh, three with, uh, Schmelzer, Akanji and Piszczek I kind of think that's Schmelzer's best position as, um, you know, kind of wide uh, center-back. And, um, yeah, I would agree with wrong players maybe in, in the front because I thought the strategy worked out uh, fine because those three guys found themselves in a lot of space a lot of times, but, you know, made the wrong decisions maybe basically every time. Um, Sancho... I get why you would play him because he played great the last few games and he did okay, but Schürrle and Royce just, you know, ran really in form and for, at least for Schürrle and I think for Royce it it goes as well. They didn't really perform in the last game at least. So maybe it would have been worth to, you know, let Philip play or maybe even try something like uh, putting Toljan on as right back um, or ring back and put a Pulisic up front, um, something like that.
0: Well, I personally actually would have preferred to see Mario Götz instead of André Schöler um, with the hindsight <laughs> at seeing that Schöler in the end ended up with uh, the ball in a lot of central positions. And uh, yeah, I would allow myself to say that uh, Mario Götz uh, has a bit... Better playmaking skills than uh, Schüller has. Um, nevertheless, yeah, you also pointed out that Royce didn't have his best game, and uh, I actually thought this would be the kind of kind of position he would thrive in. Um, Matthias, how did you see Stüger's approach in his final match? Also, how did you see the uh, double pivot with Weigel and Shine?
1: Um, you, hey, you know we we always said, oh, he doesn't experiment, he doesn't change. Well, well. He definitely proves us wrong. Granted, it was born out of the the situation, given, I think, if uh, Socrates wouldn't have been suspended and Topak wouldn't have hurt himself, it would have been a back four. Um, you know, I think... Uh, the the issues you saw there in my opinion defensively are what you can get if a fullback plays center back I, you and i even talked about that on twitter where he'll be out of position because uh, he's not used to that position the same way if a center back plays fullback he tends to tuck in a little bit too far uh just because that's his natural instinct uh the double pivot i think actually overall wasn't too bad um but it just th- there was a lack of creativity um uh, I also would have preferred to have seen Toyin instead of Pulisic on the right. I would have preferred to have seen a start. Um, and, you know, it was kind of one of those matches overall where I'm like, it's symptomatic for the entire season. It wasn't bad. It wasn't a bad performance. It wasn't a horrible performance. But it just wasn't great. It wasn't even good. It was mediocrity in in all its its stages with some really good football and some really bad defending at times and it just you know, it it left me scratching my head, my chin, whatever just wondering why why bring in Schmelza now? I mean, I almost thought hey, it would have been better given how well Pishek actually played at center back to have played a back four with Guerrero on the left back, Toyan on the right back and Akanji and Pishek centrally and not even bother with Schmelza uh, but it, yeah, and Schüler, I just didn't get, and and it was all summed up by his, honestly horrendous. I mean, it's it just, yeah. Anyway, enough, enough said about him.
0: Yeah, that one on one against uh, Bowman, he could have done a little bit better than hitting the side netting, but I, I guess that also sort of sums up his season. Um, Luca, I want to agree with Matthias that it wasn't all that horrible of a performance. I actually would say that. Uh, Dortmund could have easily won the game had they been a little bit more efficient in front of goal and had they avoided all the individual mistakes you know easier said than done of course but uh, I guess it all sort of started with uh, that Roman Bürki cock up in the uh which minute was it I think it was like 26 minutes or so right yeah so um did you think when that happened that uh, Dortmund would now entirely collapse? Or well, what did you think would be the consequence from that, uh, yeah, quite horrendous mistake that Boogie made there?
2: I, I didn't really think they would collapse because, uh, like you, I kind of liked the first few minutes. Um, I thought they found some good sh- solutions against Hoffenheim's pressing, which was encouraging. Um, they actually tried to play out of the back and You know, were successful most of the times. I don't remember many dangerous, uh, you know, uh, ball dispossessions in the in the in their own third, basically, and their pressing kind of worked. And in that regard, I kind of understand why Schüler played because uh, he's better at that than than let's say Götze, because he he can just run more um, or not more but faster than than Götze does but i i probably would have played götze so like instead of shahin or something like that but that's another another story and yeah i i didn't think they would collapse and they really didn't they they continued on playing like almost like nothing happened because basically nothing happened um they still they still you know they were were through to the champions league if they lost with with just one goal difference and uh, unfortunately, yeah, the the Schirle thing happened, the miss from Schürrle, and a few other chances weren't...
0: Uh, yeah, Guerrero had a couple of good chances, too. Yeah,
2: yeah, he he had a pretty decent game, considering it was his first game back, I would say. And, um, yeah, they, they played a really good first half, then started kind of okay in the second half. Not really that good, but scored one, and then it all went bad.
0: Matthias... Again, especially in this game, we sort of have to talk about Christian Pulisic. He once again didn't really have his best game and uh, it felt like Hoffenheim were even targeting the space behind him. Um obviously Nico Schulz, you know, he was a former Hertha player. He is uh Hoffenheim's left back and or, or left wing back however you want um and he is just not the best player, but um doesn't really matter because Hoffenheim have understood how to utilize him with a diagonal ball, so it, it's it's not like they were targeting the space behind Polizic because Polizic was playing there, but, but also because that's just the way Hoffenheim play. But nevertheless, um, they were highly successful. And I want to ask you: Do you think that Polizic has a problem in his defensive positioning? Because at least that's that's my takeaway from recent weeks.
1: Oh, without a doubt. Uh, he's a defensive liability. I mean, he he tries hard. Uh, I'll give him that. It's not like Dembele, who, oh, the ball's past me. I'm just going to hang out up here, or Yarmolenko, kind of the same way. I mean, it's he's just not very good defensively because that's not what he's ever been really asked to do. That's why, to me, I question starting him in that position instead of Toyan. Um, and and they didn't put Guerrero under pressure, which I initially thought they would, maybe a little bit more, just because the lack of. Practice, match time, and the fact that Schmelzer is behind him as a center back. Um, the fact
0: that Guerrero is also not
1: the best defensive <clears throat> correct, player in the world. Correct, but he's significantly better than than Pulisic. Uh, they did make Piszczek look like a, 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 an almost world-class center back because he played really, really well. He had to cover a lot of ground. He had to make a lot of interceptions, a lot of great tackles. Uh, Piszczek, I thought, looked actually really good as a center back. Um, part of that is also due to he just had to, um, and you, you just saw his experience and, and age and so on. Um, with Pulisic, you know, the, the entire season is, is symptomatic of, of US, U.S. national team as well as Dortmund. He's He started like a house on fire, and then ever since then, he's just kind of been a burnt-down house to a certain degree. I he's had some great games in between, but overall, not um and uh, he's been very inconsistent in the second half of the season and you know Nagelsmann was very intelligent in in seeing that quickly pinpointing that and then going after that obviously they were helped by by Buki's mistake um which uh, I agree with what you what you tweeted out and said it it you know feel bad for him because over the second half of the season in particular he's probably the consistently best Player for Dortmund and definitely saved their bacon, and he didn't really deserve that, especially when then you know obviously the the commentary comes back up and and we had it on Fox as well. Very lazy commentary is like, uh, you know, a, another boogie blunder, which happens again and again and again and again. It's like, well, not if you actually watched the last seventeen matches. So um, yeah, it was Pulisic in that right hand side. Um, he's definitely an attacking player. I don't. Depending on who the next manager is, but if it is Lucien Favre, I doubt he's going to be asking Pulisic to play as a wing back. But I may be wrong.
0: Well, I I, I would find it really hard to envision that as well, to be honest. Especially considering that Favre prefers uh yeah, let's just call it a short passing style. If if he can apply it, and I think in, in Dortmund he finds a player to do that. So I just don't see. Uh, Pulisic ever playing as a wing back, um, under Favre, un- unless there's really no other alternative he,
2: available, which, although he did under so Tuchel, right? Like a few times he played right back under Tuchel and, you know, similar style. So
0: I think when, when Doom was unavailable, yeah, yeah exactly. Had
2: to play that, <laughs> yeah, Doom, let's go. Um, good times. Uh, no, but I think I, I would agree that Pulisic isn't, the best um, defensively and can definitely be a liability there but if you if you have a good structure as a team as a whole I think he could work out there in a few games I wouldn't play him there regularly but you know maybe not against Hoffenheim yeah exactly general, You are right. yeah exactly <laughs> and because just because he's so talented and you have so many talented offensive players and you if you want to have them all in the pitch it can work out in a few games but yeah not against Hoffenheim
0: yeah, I mean, it, it almost worked out for Dortmund because I, I still always had the feeling that they could have won this game. It, it, as, as we already pointed out, it wasn't like the most shambolic performance. Um, yes, Dortmund could have played much better in the, uh, attacking department. I would say that Jadon Sancho also started really well the first 10 or 15 minutes. He was, uh, yeah, finding passes. I think he had a good pass to Guerrero and uh, was winning uh, one against one situations. But uh, then sort of, yeah, there was nothing really left. And there were a lot of misunderstandings from Schuleroy uh, royce and uh, Sancho and the way they ran. And uh, when they had a breakaway opportunity, they s- sometimes just botched it because they were running down the same mm-hmm. lane and stuff like that. So that's basically just, uh, yeah, sentence of a team that doesn't have a lot of automatism, uh, especially... Um, yeah, in, in that formation, um, although kind of funny to say it on the last uh, day of the season that this team is lacking automatism. But uh, to me, in, in a more broader sense, it's clearly what has happened there. And I thought there was also the the contrasting picture to how Hoffenheim played, because when I saw Hoffenheim play, you know, they don't have the best in, individual players. But they, in the end, still deserve to win that game. And I also think they deserve to win, uh, third place. Because, uh, yeah, that run from, what was it, ninth place to third within 11 match days was just, yeah, quite amazing. So, um, yeah, to, to go back to my points, Hoffenheim really just looked like a unit where every player knew what to do. Team chemistry was there and uh, just the positional and tactical awareness that good teams have and uh, then it can happen that a player like Nico Schulz becomes a good utility player and everyone does their job and it works out unlike things did for Dortmund on that day I think that was like the, the biggest contrast I don't know how you see it Matthias but uh, this is for me where Dortmund have to go or go back to that they are a cohesive unit and where everyone knows down to a T what to freaking do
1: well, absolutely. I mean, you have a few factors that play in Hoffenheim's favor. First of all, they have a, a brilliant manager, uh, and they've had a brilliant manager now for a more consistent period of time, which allows the players to know exactly what they need. And in the, in their recruitment process, also from the sporting director's standpoint, has been fantastic. Um, you know, it's very hard for me to praise Hoffenheim because obviously, as a Dalton supporter, you're not necessarily a pro Hoffenheim guy, given the construct of the club. Um, but over the last few years, they've gotten it right. And there's a part of me that, you know, I enjoy watching them play if I just ignore the club badge. And there's certain vindication because when Hoffenheim started to slip, when they didn't qualify for the Champions League and they played so poorly in the Europa League and then they slipped in the table, you know, it was almost like the... The the Mehmet Schollers of the world were vindicated, and they're like, ah, see, you know, these laptop coaches, the, these fifteen year olds who never really played like us super pros, you know, ah, you could see they suck, and and that he got that team together and 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 they were able to finish third is a vindication for what I believe is proper management and proper football. So, um, and you said it right; they absolutely deserve to win. They absolutely deserve to be third. Honestly, had they not had that, that really big negative run, I, I would have rather have seen them second than Schalke. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying that as a Dortmund supporter. Uh, either well,
0: way. It's, it's li- likely to happen, though. I mean, Hoffenheim was struggling, A, coping with Europe, right? As any team basically did this season. I think uh, everyone who qualified for Europe had to uh, yeah, take a couple of points off the board in the Bundesliga. The hardest hit by that, I, I guess, are Cologne. And, um, yeah, then they also had to make up for the loss of, of Zula and, uh, Oli, which is, uh, pretty big. And, uh, yeah, at some point Sandro Wagner as well. And I think they, they've done quite well to do that. Uh, I think that, uh, Akpoguma, for example, stepped up quite well. He had a very good game against Dortmund, at least, even though, um, yeah, he's still a little error prone, but uh, not, not quite the presence as Zula and, um, I know Rudi so far isn't like the mastermind in Bayern's midfield, but uh, every time he plays, you can still see how much Hoffenheim are missing him, what a really good player Rudi is. And um Schalke are actually smart and I think already asked about alone, loan um, because they have Goretzka going the other way and they thought, well, maybe Rudi is the... Uh, guy that's sort of uh, falling off the roster at the, at the end of Bayern and maybe he would be available. And I think that's actually a smart move and I could actually, you know, if, if I had the choice, I, as, as a Dortmund sporting director, I actually would maybe try to sign Rudy because I think he's a very valuable player and, um, the, the guy that Sebastian Rode should have been basically because he is just uh, of a little bit more footballing quality and uh, if you could replace Rode with Rudy uh, I think that would a- already be a step forward how do you see that Luca uh,
2: it would be but I don't think it's possible um, uh, he said pretty clearly that he wants to stay and I think that's that's likely what's going to happen or at least uh, he's going to World Cup first maybe Um So, yeah, we'll see about that. But just one more note on Nagelsmann and also on, on Nico Scholz, who I repeatedly, um, yeah, said on Twitter that he's one of the worst players I know. But, (laughs) um, Nagelsmann is just great at putting players where they can thrive, basically. He knows what they're good at and also what they're not good at. And he puts them in a position where they can play to their uh, strength and, you know, kind of hide their weaknesses. And, you know, there's a reason Dortmund wanted Nagelsmann so badly um, that they almost, uh, you know, probably would have continued with Stürger if, if things would have gotten a bit better and uh, waited for one year to get Nagelsmann. But sadly, it didn't uh, Yeah, happen that way.
0: Yeah, Certainly not the case and uh, also the perfect segue, I guess we can knock the game on the head. I don't feel like talking too much about it because, uh, yeah, even though Dortmund lost they've managed to qualify for the Champions League Group phase. Now, after the game, obviously, press conference and first question to Mr. Sugar is to reveal his future. And so he did. So he let everyone know that uh, the decision had been made quite a while ago, that uh, Dortmund uh, will not continue with Peter Sugar. And uh, I personally had the impression that uh, good old Peter Sugar did not really have too much of interest in continuing the job. He basically said that... Uh, the club needs new impulses and uh, yeah the best way to do that is to install a new coach. So um yeah, Peter Sugar is gone now. Well not not quite. There are still a couple of friendlies for which he will hang around, but um yeah, he will not continue. Um Luca, firstly, um let's shortly assess the work he has done within the six months at Dortmund. Um did he overachieve, underachieve, or just the job he was supposed to do. Um, how do you assess it? Do Dortmund fans have to be grateful for what Sugar did? Or do you think, uh, another coach could have done better? Or was that like the best case scenario in the end? I mean, he achieved, I would say.
2: I don't know. <laughs> he achieved something. Um, I don't, I'm not sure if Dortmund fans have to be grateful, uh, for what he did. I think some are and that's okay. And some aren't. And that's also okay. I, I definitely don't think he overachieved. And I'm not sure if he underachieved because the team is just so hard to judge with, with all that, that has happened basically. And it has been widely reported. And now also the players came out and said the team is just isn't really a team anymore. Uh, which is kind of funny that Nui Shine basically says it's nice to spend six weeks apart from the other guys. And now they have to go to America together. So if I have fun with that, but, um, yeah, yeah, that's kind of weird, but I think Stüger overall did an okay job on a, on a, you know, just human to human level basically. And, uh, but playing style was pretty bad. One of the worst I've seen in in recent uh, Dortmund history. And I've seen the last club season and some of the uh, last games under Bosch. It just wasn't uh, fun to watch his teams play, but he he got some points. He got Dortmund into the Champions League, which was the big goal, and now the season is finally over. So he achieved something I don't th- think he overachieved or underachieved. It's, it's okay, I would say.
0: Matthias, what's your opinion on uh, the entire Stöger appointment?
1: Well, it was technically it was the safest option at a given time. He, you know, he he did stabilize the team defensively just by the nature in which f- the football he prefers to play versus what Bosch preferred to play. You know, I don't, I don't, I, I as a coach and as a, a tactical coach, I, I still value Bosch more than than Stöger but he did the job he was hired to do. Um, like Luca said, I don't think he overachieved. I don't think he underachieved. I think he was pretty much, he is what he is. Uh, he, he, I think, Stefan, you're right in saying that he didn't seem that bothered in the end or that interested in continuing because uh, he's out of his depth at Dortmund uh, when it comes to the expectations of the club, the media, uh, the supporters, the stadium. Uh, the quality of the players, the personalities behind it, it was much easier in Köln where the expectations were way, way lower and they massively overachieved uh, than they massively underachieved. But uh, overall, you know, I'm thankful in the sense of he helped the club achieve the minimum goal, which is qualifying for the Champions League. Um, And I'm glad, even though my exact position was incorrect, I still always maintained... Dortmund will make the Champions League so at least I got one tip right this season <laughs> um, yeah I mean he is who he is he, he played the football he, he plays and it just wasn't I mean there were matches towards the end that were great to watch but overall not so much uh, you know we were at times more entertained while losing under Bush than while winning under Stürger. Um and he, I thought the team played better when Bachwaii wasn't there because with Bachuaye there it was basically, oh let's play like Cohen with Modeste. And that just yeah, it wasn't wasn't enough there. So he did the job that he was needed to do. Uh, for that I'm I'm thankful I guess. And now we'll move on to bigger and better things. But yeah, and and as far as the dressing room goes, you know, part of that also has to do with how the season started with Debele and how it you know, and, and, then, and then in the January winter with Obama Young, I think that that puts such a massive rift in the side, and then with Toche and you know Bush not really being comfortable handling that situation, Stöger not really being able to handle that situation. Um, I think a, a, a reset, as it were, for the next season is needed and will be good.
0: Yes, definitely. Um, you know, to, to give my two cents. In a vacuum, obviously, there could have been a better choice of you know coaching appointment. But uh, considering it was December and uh, the yeah coaching market didn't really have that much to offer, I think it was actually a really good choice to appoint him three days after he got booted by Cologne or resigned. I don't even know, but I think I think he he got booted. Any anyway, um, I mean you just basically take through like a couple of things how difficult the dressing room was and uh, all things considered I actually think that Peter Sugar did a really great job in calming things down in, in in general like it still didn't look calm but it was calmer so that already helped with the sort of personality he is um he you know always has a quip about him which i actually kind of enjoyed um yeah he's not maybe the most explosive guy on the sideline or like the most emotional but uh nevertheless um i i thought he handled it all quite calmly you know with the media it could have spun a little bit more out of control than it did you know obviously as Luca pointed out and as everyone i think else will point out is that yeah the footballing development just wasn't really there was it so, um, also in the long term, I don't really think that he would have yet. He has, I don't, I don't think he has the sort of concept or so to really develop something according to a vision. I mean, he said it himself. He's more pragmatic primat- guy. He will look at the players he has and try to ma- make the best out of it. Um, but to be honest, I personally don't think he managed to do that. I thought he was way too risk averse. Um, don't have to go all uh, out all guns blazing like Peter Bosch, but I think with that sort of team you have, you can pl- play with a bit more risk. And, uh, yeah. Let the quality and that attacking potential that's certainly in that side. And we mustn't forget Dortmund are very lopsided in how their squad is built, that their talent sits more up front than at the back. So, uh, yeah, I think he should have tried to make a little bit more out of that. And, uh, yeah, maybe that. We we'll win for the free approach, than 1-0 uh, could have had. But then again, uh, yeah, we saw that things also can quickly backfire under Peter Bosch. And we mustn't forget, I think that's the most difficult part for any coach and uh, also the most incrementing part of the entire season, at least to me, is that um, Hans-Joachim Watzke, I think after Bosch was sacked, revealed that a lot of players had lost their trust in in the way... Uh Bosch wanted to play and basically said that uh yeah the players do not want to press as much and as high. And uh so there was always this limitation that you cannot do everything you want as a coach with the players because they're just not willing to do certain things. And uh I think Dominico Tedesco actually talked about it a lot in an interview with Heibfeld Flanke or uh Sharker Tactic Block. But nevertheless, he basically pointed out that uh, the most important thing for a coach, at least in his perspective, is to motivate your players in a way that they are always willing to make those runs that seem or feel unnecessary and that hurt. But, uh, you know, as Daniel Caligi repressed Marcel Schmelzen at uh, uh, reverse fiction in the derby and then finally, you know, got the chance after already making like eight runs or so on like that, um, you could really see what Tedesco was talking about and uh, that I think was lacking in, in the Dortmund team overall, that they just didn't have the willingness to, to make a lot of runs. So, which is why I think Stöger so often talked about these basic virtues, which was a little bit annoying. Um, to be honest, because I feel like, uh, you know, had he provided a couple more footballing s- solutions, he didn't have to talk about th- that so many times but uh, yeah it played a huge element so I think the coach was limited and I think this is also why Dortmund needs such a big overhaul just so they get a little bit more yeah I guess virtues, motivation. Even though those are usually points I don't really like talking about, but uh, I think there is is a little truth in there that this team lacked a bit of spirit, and it's hard to deny. Even though Nuri Shine in the end said that the team didn't lack discipline only in the beginning of the season. I don't know how did you see that comment, the uh, post match interview of Nuri Shine. Do you would you agree with all of his points,
2: Luca? Um, really interesting, uh, because you kind of hear a lot of rumors just f- coming from or around Dortmund and then Nuri Sahin basically confirmed all those rumors in in one interview. So, I, I, I mean, for people who, who didn't see it, he, he basically said that there were discipline issues with, within the squad. I think he was, you know, pointing towards Dembele and Dewey young but also, more than that and uh, yeah that he was he he thinks it's good when they don't have to see each other for six weeks now and um, but then he also rightfully pointed out the the bus attack and I think a lot of the players still have you know to do with themselves more than actually thinking about football which I mean I, I get your point with the motivation and I agree that it's it's tough to you know pinpoint when the player is motivated and when not, but they kind of seem, you know, not really motivated at times. That I think that's true, but I kind of think that could come from the the fact that they're not really focused on football, but more important things, uh, such as their life, basically. So because they also had to be in court to testify and all that. And uh, when, when New spoke about discipline within the squad, I think he was talking about the young players because that's coming from around Dortmund that the young players aren't really disciplined They They don't want to learn German. They, they don't really integrate into the team. They are not respectful towards the other players and all that stuff. And I think that's, that's for example, why Isak isn't playing, I think. Um, and the, the, the leaders in within the team or the, the, the ones who are supposed to be the leaders, I think they have to do with themselves more than then they are able to, you know, help the young players or uh, tell them to be respectful because they have their own problems right now. And uh, one one article from Kicker I found pretty interesting. Um when they linked Socrates with the with the transfer to Arsenal, they said Arsenal see a, a leader in him. And that's in stark contrast to what Dortmund see in him basically. So they basically said Socrates isn't acting like a leader right now. And um yeah I think that all, that all kind of plays into each other. It's, it's really, it's a lot of things coming together, uh, creating such a bad season. I think that always has to happen when you have such good footballers, um, to make them play, uh, poorly. And, um, yeah, like you guys said, I think a big overhaul in the summer is needed, not only for the club, but also for a few players who might need like just a new environment, like, like Bender did and, uh, like Bartra maybe also did.
0: Yeah, to pick up on that, um, I actually think that uh, it would do a world of good to a lot of guys to just have a different surrounding and maybe uh, yeah make it a little bit easier to deal with the the bombing. Uh, I think the trials so far, well, the trial has has shown really how deep the ramifications are. And Matthias, um, mental health obviously is is uh, something in football that's uh, is uh, yeah often yeah, a taboo subject and i i felt like even with mark badra we we saw that showing weakness is something you cannot do and um that's my personal opinion and i think it's obviously it's speculation but nevertheless um i i would like to talk about it and um I would like to hear your opinion, but I think that, um, the sort of atmosphere in, in football in general. And I think Dortmund are a part of that, that uh, you can't really talk too much about how you're dealing with emotional stress and, and uh, the ramifications and that everyone sort of seems to be a little bit with himself because you just can't share. Otherwise, it's like showing weakness that this sort of has an impact on a team that sort of everyone is yeah, more busy with himself and everyone sort of drifts apart and hence the team spirit sort of collapses. Do you think that that's a phenomena we're seeing in Dortmund or is that just something in my head that uh, I should not talk about?
1: <laughs> um, you know, I think there are multiple things that play into that i mean part of it is if we if you look from the outside in you always hear these comments you know if a, a footballer complains about pressure and uh, expectations and like a privacy or anything like that i mean just look at someone like Dejan Lovren at liverpool i mean life threatened over a freaking game you know uh but then you you hear the comments then from supporters like oh whatever they're getting they're millionaires playing a child's game they're making more in a week than most people make in ten years um, so it kind of gets dismissed and, and and you forget the the human side of it so obviously that that plays part of it and, and Mark Bartra at most case in point you know is is the at least start one is concerned the the poster child for that because he didn't come to grips with it 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 um he was doing really really well and then that happened and he became homesick you know as someone who lives abroad i understand the homesickness standpoint of it you know he's you see your family every once in a while but not that often and then you have a truly traumatic event and you need the security of your family and you can't forget i mean these are still guys that are under 30 so they're not, you know, over 40 or over 50 with half grown up kids or anything like that. So there's a, a different perspective in the entire process. That's that's the one thing that I think plays into it. And I think you're right that we don't really talk about it in general, uh, mental health en- uh, enough. Yet at the same time, sometimes we um, easily dismiss uh, behavior that is undisciplined and um, kind of say, well, you know, the mental aspects of it that play into it, it's okay. You know, like we'll give an excuse to a young player that we won't give to a veteran player in that aspect. And that to me is is a huge difference. Um, and I even see it, you know, just coaching kids that the attitudes given, um, and, you know, excuse my French, but are just shit. And you saw that with Tim Bailey, you saw that with Emre Moore. You saw that now with Emre Moore at Celta, where he failed as well. Um, Just the mentality is not there. I do at times worry a little bit about Pulisic. If he gets his head turned too many times that he may go into that same route. I don't know. Um, Jaden Sancho so far seems to be doing an outstanding job. Um, Definitely on the pitch. Off the pitch, I'm not 100% sure. Um, I think he needed to do some maturing, and he's done so. I think otherwise Peter Stöger wouldn't have given him the time of day. Because, I mean, you asked him, I think it was you that asked him in the press conference before the match, right? About uh, Isak and if it was a lost season for Isak. Yes, and, me. Yeah. And, you know, he basically said yes. And I think part of that is down to, as you mentioned, Isak's attitude mentally. And Peter Stöger, just like Peter Bosch, did not put up with shit. Uh, I think Peter will won't do that either. And I think if the next manager is Lucien Favre, we know Lucien Favre won't necessarily put up with that unless you're a Balotelli type <laughs> talent um, who can just change a game dramatically. So I think you had a mixture of, of players that were negatively affected by the bombing in the sense of uh, psychological, I'm not going to say psychological issues. Uh, that That's taking it too far, but just it, it traumatized them like a Mark Bartra. Um, and, and a few other guys. And then you have the ones that just acted like petulant children, uh, be it Ousmane Dembele. Before that, Emre Moore, that's why he got moved on. Uh, Obama Young, who just massively disappointed everybody. So it's, it's kind of both. And yes, it all goes into not necessarily mental health, but mental aspects of the game that are very, very important. That's why a lot of clubs use mental coaches. But it is all too often ignored. And I think Julian Nagelsmann also once said, coaching is 20% tactics and 80% player motivation. So you you see it from the younger managers, the importance of the mental game in football.
0: Well, I, I guess it's, it's almost a very good... Uh, yeah. End to the episode, un- unless you guys want to address anything else after, after this season. But, uh, I mean, we still have our award show and we have the Lucien Favre preview podcast, if you want to call it. So,
1: um, supposed Lucien Favre yeah, well, preview yeah. podcast. Yeah. Rumor has <laughs> it there will be a Lucien Favre preview <laughs> co- podcast, but it cannot be confirmed yet.
0: Yeah. I will, I will act very surprised when it happens. Um, but yeah, thank you, Matthias, for pointing out that it's not entirely fixed yet. There are still some games to play for, uh, Nice. Luca, anything to add? Uh, just,
2: just one, one quick note on, on the, on what Matthias said. I wholeheartedly agree that, uh, it's a mix of, you know, effects of the, of the attack and just players misbehaving. And, um, I, I see a bigger problem there at Dortmund because, I mean, when you have young players coming in, and it's it's basically every young player not behaving um i mean we had we had Dembélé, we had more there were definite problems with with isak um and uh, rumors about sancho and all the other guys except for except for Gomez, but usually when there are so many rumors that there's at least something to it and um i think there there is a problem with um and zorc talked about it how the the values of the club are lived, basically, and that needs to change. And I think that's why they appointed Summer. That's why they appointed, especially Kiel, who's supposed to be closer to the team and kind of, uh, you know, monitor how how there are different groups within the team and how they play uh, into each other and how they get along, basically. And I think. A lot needs to change. Maybe the recruitment is already bad and they don't really look for character with, in, in young players or they just handle it badly when they come over. I don't know what it is. But yeah, something
0: needs to change there. Well, maybe one, one little detail about Sergio Gomez, uh, because you just mentioned him basically as one exception. And um, for what it's worth, uh, the press officer, Sascha Fligge, um, when he talks to journalists, like on a, a training ground, and so he always raves about how well behaved he is, and what a difference it may it, it makes that a player comes from La Masia, and that they are not only you know coached well in a footballing sense, but they are basically um, yeah they arrive with a whole set of of uh, values, and um, basically have an entirely different mindset and a very humble and uh modest and yeah really um an, an entirely different thing uh, when then uh i i guess then what what did Fligge say something along those lines than uh, from the slums of London or so <laughs> so maybe he was already comparing that to to Sancho that uh, you know there's just just a difference in how how these kids behave from la la masia um so yeah. Pointed out that they're doing a quite decent job at Barcelona um but yeah just so for for people to know that Sergio Gomez apparently is uh is a full package and you know he, when when he was playing he was uh doing quite well and I I think we can actually look forward to seeing him more often next season I mean he's still so bloody young so it wasn't much of a surprise that he uh didn't play too much of a role, but, uh, you know, he had his couple of minutes every now and then when Stuger also could have opted for, uh, I don't know, let's say Götze or so, or he made the trip to Hoffenheim while a certain Mahmoud Dahoud did not. So, um, you know, a lot of things already pointed to, to him, you know, really have, yeah, that he earned himself a, a spot in the matchday squad when others did not. Like also Gonzalo Castro. In the Hoffenheim game, for instance. So, um, yeah, that's, I guess, something to look forward to. Um, Luca, since you're not here all that often, um, what are for you the positive takeaways from that season? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: besides all the, the character stuff, which we can't be Sure about, and I think he, he's, he's matured a lot, and uh, I agree with Matthias that Stöger wouldn't have played him otherwise. Uh, Jaden Sancho is a bloody good footballer, to put it British. Um, (laughs) I, like, he's, he's the real deal. He'll, he'll either be really good for Dortmund in the coming years, or he'll move for a lot of money to the Premier League, probably. Um, we made the Champions League. That's a big plus. And speaking of big plus, um, a Swiss player, uh, called, uh, Akanji. I-, I would, I would, uh, you know, point out one of the, the better players this season. I think he'll, he'll become a really good uh, center back. Also did good as a left back. Uh, makes me not as worried uh, about Socrates maybe leaving the club. So, He'll be a good uh, chief in the back, basically. Other than that, uh, Royce, uh, uh, contract renewal. And then there's not much else I can think of uh, off the top of my head.
0: Well, all right. Before we knock it on the head, I actually think there's one subject left we have to address. Uh, Marco Royce uh, got drafted to the pre Squad of Germany, Mario Götze not in there. Um, Matthias, I would like to d- debate the uh, exclusion of Mario Götze a little bit. Uh, I don't think we really have to debate Marco Reus. I think when he is on top of his game, he belongs in the Germany team. Um, I personally think that Mario Götze should have been there as well. Um, others have said, well, he didn't play all too well this season. And I think that's a fair point. However, I think... He could have done so much better if it hadn't been for Peter Stöger not really figuring out how to get the best out of him. What do you think? Should Meyer Götz have been in the Germany team, maybe not based on the performance that he showed, but based on the performance that he could have shown? Or am I out of my depth? And uh, that's just blind favoritism here from the host of the Yellow pot
1: uh, No, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. You know, it's kind of... um you know, Lof is a, is an odd beast in that. I mean, he, for years he would always nominate Podolski, regardless of performances. And yes, he said it was had more to do with the dressing room than anything else, or even a Pamantisaka when there were better options available. Uh, we, I, I tend to believe in the the, the conspiracy theory that Lof does have a slight pro Bayern and anti Dortmund bias. I think his selections prove that to a certain degree. There are certain selections he made in this squad that I do not understand flat out. Um, I, I don't understand why he's bringing in four keepers and, and one of them being Kevin Trapp. I just, I don't... Okay, maybe one of the three keepers gets injured, but Kevin Trapp... And then on top of that, you know, Niels Pedersen.
0: more than Leno, to be honest. But let's... Yeah,
1: but still, I mean, Trapp hardly ever played. And and the other one, Niels Pedersen. Niels Petersen had a great season for Freiburg, but come on, he's not a World Cup player. And we know that Gutz, if he gets into that locker room with those players, he knows the Löw system. He thrives in the Löw system. He knows all of his teammates. You know you're going to get... Honestly in my opinion more consistent better performances out of a Mario Götze than Mesut Özil. Um and uh, yeah so I mean mm. I mean yeah like I said Reis that's a no brainer and God I hope he does not get injured in in one of these pre World Cup friendlies again. Um well, and if he, he if, finally if so, gets Nats- to go.
0: Götze should be like the the next one you know, of course up, yeah, even yeah. No, even if it's, no it's not Royce to get injured but uh, I actually do think and I think Luca will back me up on this point that um, Joachim Löw has done significantly well as a coach in his development and I'm really really excited oh, for about sure. the way Germany play Um this time around they are playing a proactive possession based style and I think in that sort of style that Löw prefers to play, Mario Götz is perfect for so um Luca, why the hell is he not in there? And uh, do you think that Skötze actually would have done better for the national team this World Cup than uh, he has done for Dortmund this season?
2: Uh, I think he's not in there because Löw sees him as a, still as a, like a number 10 or a more offensive player. And as we saw under Stilger when he played him there, he's not, he, he really isn't that anymore. Like, he's okay at that, but he's not great at it. And uh, where he's, Thriving And where he was probably one of the best players for Dortmund this season, I would say, was in central midfield. And that's just not where Löw sees him. I don't agree with that. Uh, I would have nominated him. Um, also because in, in national teams, usually you don't have that much time to train. So it's um, often not as organized and not every player knows what to do. And Goetz is always nice because he he, he knows how to create... Um, ways to connect teammates, basically, and connect um, the, the attack with the midfield and all that. He's good at that. and um, For that alone, I would have uh, would have nominated him, but I think the reasoning is that Löw sees him as an offensive player still and he's not that good
0: at that anymore. All right, yeah, fair enough. Uh, I mean, Mario Goetz is not a number 10 anymore. I think we can agree on all that uh, because if you just compare the the output in, in goals and assists, that's just not there anymore. And on the same level, he has just regressed in, in, some parts of the game. That's just how it is. Mario Götze is not the sort of player he once was. Um, but he is still quality and he can still make use of, use of that, but not in the same way as, uh, yeah, maybe four years ago. So in, in that regard, you're right. And, uh, thinking, um, trying to play Mario uh, in the old sort of way, uh, yeah, that's not going to work. And, and from that logic, Löw is absolutely 100% right not to pick him. So yeah, but nevertheless, I, I thought that was a topic that had to be, yeah, debated. And I think, uh, yeah, my, my opinion is still that Goethe should have been in there, but I get where Löw is coming from. So, um, yeah, so much on that. And I still hope Germany will have a good World Cup. Luca, um, since you're, uh, yeah, here to not make any predictions anymore, um, because there's no game left, (laughs) I still kind of want to ask you about your feeling real quick. How, how much better the next season will go in your opinion? Oh. And how, how, how the summer will go? Do you have a feeling that Dortmund can actually, you know, turn the corner, so to speak, and, uh yeah make a lot of right decisions also with Lucien Favre or do you think that uh, you know the next season will be not much better than this one
2: the the weird thing about especially the coach is that I both in in Peter uh, Stuger's case and Peter Bosch's case both times I thought they got the best coach available in a vacuum they didn't but at, at the time, those were the best coaches available, and it both turned out not to be that great. And um, now again, I think Favre might be the best coach available, but he's no Nagelsmann, just you put it that way. I think he's, he's a good tactician. Um, I, I like his football at times. Um, I'm not sure if he, if he can be a good coach in a team that's usually the favorite in a game. We'll see about that. And he can be a difficult character. So that's for Vatsk and Sork to handle. Um, we'll see about that. And other than that, I think Dortmund have less to spend than people might think. Um, I think they will spend like, uh, uh not spend, but net spend basically, um, uh, will, uh, f- about 50 million give or take. And, um, they, they will have to see which players they can, you know, sell and which players get offers and which players want to move away and which players they can get in. So far, I'm not excited about some of the rumors, especially Lichtsteiner. I would, I think would be a terrible
0: choice. So. <laughs> yeah. To hear more on that, just listen back to the last episode.
2: <laughs> so yeah, I'm, um, I really have to wait and see how. How the squad pans out and how many of the players they want to sell actually get offers. And if they get more Lichtsteiner tr- transfers or <laughs> actually some, some players I like. So I think it'll, it'll be better next season just because Fava is a coach with a clear vision. And uh, no, he's not Peter Stöger who basically lets them play like Cone um, just with better players. So. I think it'll be better, but I, I wouldn't expect like uh, a wondrous uh, next season and everything will be fine because uh, it'll take some time and uh, hard work to get, you know, the team back together, basically.
0: Yeah, that's probably a fair assessment. And uh, Luca, how can people get in touch with you on the <laughs> internet?
2: Uh, hopefully more often here again, uh, if private life lets me. And uh, on so <laughs> Uh, And uh, on Twitter at uh, Vierdekirch.
0: All right. Matthias Suk, how can people reach out to you?
1: You can direct all your hate mail to at Matthias Suk on Twitter. (laughs) That's M-A-T-T-H-I-A-S-S-U-U-C-K. All
0: right. I'm not going to spell my name (laughs) just out of of principle, but you can follow me at Stefan Butzko, You can uh, find... That's in the show notes on yellowwallpod.com, where you can also find all ways to subscribe to the Yellow pod, which is iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. And if you want to pledge us some money, you can do that on patreon.com slash the yellowwall. Um, I have to say, I uh, took down the re- reward on Patreon, where you can buy a, a stadium cup, just because I'm in the US for three months, and I will have no way to yeah physically mail the cups to you uh i'm afraid i just did not have any space left in my suitcase to bring them otherwise i would have but uh yeah so uh i uh demand patience for like three months although i think the uh, socrates cup may might not be of much value by then but uh nevertheless um that was yeah more or less the end of the season but obviously not the end of the royal pot will be back next week with the award show or the father episode whatever comes first the supposed father episode i'm sorry matthias anyway as always thanks for listening to everyone out there and uh, we'll be back next week